This will probably come as no surprise to anybody who has been paying attention, but the kids and young people today, my generation, I'm 35, and the two after me, not doing great, not having a good time, not particularly thriving. Now, some would say that we're more open about the problems of the youth. We talk about this epidemic of youth mental health problems, of increased depression and self-harm. And they would say, well, we just talk about it more. This has always been a problem. But the data don't back that up. We see in the data a significant spike in young people who are admitted to hospitals for physical self-harm or for suicide attempts. Not a good sign. Our young people are struggling mightily. Now, there is a lot of ink spilled on this. What I'm saying is not disputed by anybody, left, right, or center. Everybody agrees there's a problem. But nobody necessarily agrees on what the source or origin is. Sometimes we wave our hands and say something about social media. But that feels a little bit too much like raising my cane in the air and saying kids these days with their TikToks. I'm going to give you the best hypothesis I have, and then I'm going to give you the solution I have to that hypothesis. The best hypothesis I have is that we have given young people a view of the world that is hopeless. When somebody goes so far as to try to take their own life, in every case, it is because they are hopeless. Many times it's driven by depression, many times depression triggered by something that they feel like they cannot escape. But when they reach that point, it's because they are so hopeless. They see no way forward, no way out of the thing that is oppressing them and keeping them down. Hope requires belief that the problem that we're facing has a solution, that somehow there is a way forward. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So when I say that our young people today are hopeless, what I mean is that they don't see a solution to any of the problems presented to them. They feel absolutely overwhelmed by their mere existence. And they're reaching out for anything to hold on to. Anything that can promise them that they will feel better. That there is something in this life worth living for. Let's get concrete about where this hopelessness comes from. One aspect of it is true not just for the millennials and younger, but for everybody. All of you have dealt with some aspect of this in the 20th and 21st century. And that's the fact that we don't give people a particularly inspiring view of what they are living for. What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Why do I get out of bed in the morning? What makes the struggle worth it? I read in Job here, in this first reading, he says, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Well, that's the grind mindset if you've heard about that on the internet. That's the idea that all you live for is money, is work. 
and we unwittingly give this to our kids. My parents gave this to our to me, even though they were excellent parents. They didn't realize what they were doing. But a kid asks the question, "Well, why do I have to do well in school?" And we say, "It's so that you can get into a good high school, or you can do well in high school." Well, why do I have to do that? So you can get into a good college. Well, why do I have to do that? So you can get a good job. Well, why does that matter? So that you can make money. The purpose of life, unwittingly given to children, is money. They're smart kids. They know that's a shallow way to live, even though all of their influences, all of their heroes, everybody they see on every screen—that's what they're valorizing—is money. Or you could go one step further and say, "Well, why do I need money? It's so that you can live a good life. So you can be free. If you have disposable income, you can go on vacations, buy what you want, have the cars you want, have the houses you want. So now we're not living for money; we're living for pleasure, something that is constantly." Constantly put in front of us today on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, just people valorizing. Look how wonderful my life is, how big my house is, how wonderful my vacation is. If we're lucky, the answer to that question is: Well, you need money so you can support a family. That's the best answer we can get to in that line of reasoning, and it's a pretty good one because family is an inherent good. Family does allow us to live a self-sacrificial life. Ultimately, what we want to give young people, and honestly ourselves—this has been true for many generations—we want heroes. All heroism is founded on Jesus Christ. The definition of heroism is the cross. When we talk about heroes, we are talking about people who are willing to give up their life for a greater good, just as Jesus gave up His life for our salvation. Those are heroes. I think about those of you who were raised in the '60s and '70s. One of your heroes, one of the things that was given to you through the news broadcasts and the late-night shows, astronauts. People who would put their life in danger, strapping themselves to a massive rocket, simply for the goal of advancing the interests of their country and of the human race. Self-sacrificial. We find it hard today to valorize soldiers and policemen and firemen, but they were heroes for many generations because they are self-sacrificial. Are we putting in front of our young people heroes? Images of self-sacrifice, and if we're not, then what do they have to live for? What do they have to inspire them? Who can they look to to say, "That's why I get out of bed in the morning. That inspires me. That's a transcendent life." But again, this is something that's been true for every generation in here. I think worse today with social media, but something all of you have had to face. Things are worse today for another reason, and that's that we haven't give our, given our kids hope that any of the problems we present them can be solved. We tell them that the problems that they face are the fault of everybody else, that society is irredeemably broken, that this country is irredeemably broken. That Christianity and religion are irredeemably broken. That the problems that they have to solve require revolution. You have to tear everything down; otherwise, you will never have justice or peace or harmony. 
The reason that's a hopeless message is because hope requires a belief that there is a solution. And ambiguous supranational forces are not something that have a solution. Instead, I find the message of Christianity to be incredibly hopeful. And that message is that you are the problem. Doesn't sound hopeful, let me explain. You are the problem. If you are the problem, which is to say, if human sin is the problem, if me being a sinful person is the problem, I can actually work on that problem. That's something I can solve because I have the ability to work on myself. I can grow in virtue. I can be a better person. And if the message that we give is that the solution of the world is each individual being a better person, well, that's something that is hopeful because there's a way forward. Now, any Pelagian will tell you, we don't have all that many of those around who will use the name, but most of us are somewhat Pelagian. Or any 12-stepper will tell you, if you rely on yourself, it's not particularly hopeful. Because I know that I need to be a better person, but I never feel strong enough to do so. I never feel like I can actually pull it off. Well, that's the great hope of Christianity. Because, yeah, we're the problem, but Jesus saved us. The Lord conquered sin and death. The Lord gives us the grace, particularly through the sacraments, to improve, to grow in virtue, to be a, a person who is made in the image and likeness of Christ. That's incredible hope. The problem is you, but God solved that problem. We need to improve, but God is the one who does that work in us. What an incredibly hopeful approach to life. Because now I know the things that I'm facing can be solved. They have a future. They have a hope. Imagine a couple examples. Right now, it is very common to burden our children with all of our anxieties. So, we burden our children with climate change. We say, this is... The thing that you have to focus on without any deviation, we are one step away from the entire world going up in flames. What's a 12-year-old going to do about that? Right? Sometimes the solution we say is we've got to march in the streets. One, I wouldn't trust a 12-year-old to march in the streets, right? They need to stay home and do their homework. But two, basically we're saying the only solution to the thing that is threatening your life is that everybody in society instantly changes. That there is a revolution and we tear down everything. Not particularly helpful, not particularly hopeful. Now climate change is an important issue, but it is so much better to say, well, hey, what can you do personally, individually? Teaching our kids about recycling is important. Telling them that maybe being a little bit cold during the winter, taking our furnace and turning it from 72 to 67, like, that's an okay thing. Mom saying, put on a sweater, you're fighting climate change, good job. It's an important thing to help them know that they can be part of the solution and that the solution is achievable because it gives them hope. Similarly, with our national discussion on things like race and privilege, it is hopeless to tell our kids that if you are born with a specific skin color or a specific gender or born into a specific socioeconomic class, you should always feel guilty for that. 
Because there's no solution to their guilt. Nobody can heal them of that. Or, on the flip side, to tell them, if you're born with a certain skin color or gender or socioeconomic class, you are always oppressed and a victim. Because there's no escaping that. There's no way they can live a hopeful life. But if we focus on individual responsibility, if we say you are responsible for treating all people with dignity and respect, you are responsible for using the gifts that God has given you for the salvation of the world, well, that's a hopeful message because they can be part of the solution. They know that there is a way forward and by the grace of Jesus Christ, that the way forward will find success, that in him we can find virtue. We can find community. We can find love and justice and peace. I give you all of this today because of the Job reading. Absolutely. I feel so horrible about the nihilism that has infected our younger generations. The nihilism that we see in this first reading. But I also give you this message today because it is Catholic Schools Week. And I can tell you, it is possible to give this message to your children without a Catholic school. But a Catholic school is a great ally in this message. Our kids are guaranteed to receive this message in that building. Because that's what we've dedicated ourselves to as a school. That's what we preach. That's what we want for our children. We want them to be hope-filled people. We want them to know that there is hope for this world. It's in them, through Jesus Christ. We want them to grow in virtue. For so many decades, we have tried to sell Catholic schools on our academic prowess. And yes, we do perform well academically, but I don't think this is a good tack to take from a marketing perspective, for a couple reasons. The main one being, other schools in the area infinite amount of funding right next door Bellingham High School they can tax you for whatever they want whenever they want I can never keep up with that level of funding ever I can never go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a school who is able to just pour money into new buildings like Sunnyland Elementary right I envy their building every time I drop by it every time I drive by I can't do that and yet somehow our schools outperform still why it's because we're built on virtue, on Christian virtue. We are able to help our kids grow in discipline, in personal responsibility. We're able to help them focus on love of neighbor because, and it sounds weird to say it, we tell them that they're the problem. But they're a problem that God loves so much that he gave them every tool they need to heal that problem. If they focus on loving God and loving their neighbor, they will grow in discipline, they will grow in virtue, they will grow in love, and then they will perform well in every aspect of their lives. Not just academics, but in everything, in relationships, in family, in community. We believe in what we're doing because we believe that it is the best thing we can do for our children. It's so important. I'll also say one final note on our school. Running a K through 8 is different than a high school. One of the things I'm very focused on, and I know many of our teachers are, preserving the innocence of our children. A child has a right to grow up without the anxieties of their parents. A child has a right to grow up in a place where we say, 
Look, this is a place where you can grow in hope, in safety, where you can know that we are taking care of you. We don't need to put all of these adult problems on our kids. Why do you think so many of our kids are obsessed with issues of sexuality? It's because so many adults are insecure about issues of sexuality and they put it on the kids. We try to protect our kids from that as best as we can. Let them be kids, let them be curious, let them be hopeful as long as they can be. So that with that hope, they can then bring their wonderful selves to apply to the problems of the world. My friends, like I mentioned, young people today are not doing well. But Jesus is the solution to all of our ailments, as we see in the Gospel. People came to him for healing. He is the source of our hope. The more we help our children know that, yeah, this world is broken, but that brokenness has been healed by Jesus Christ, the more we help our kids know that the more we grow in virtue, the better this world will be, the happier they will be, the more hopeful they will be. Because they know that they are not the Savior of the world, that the world has been saved, and the Savior's name is Jesus Christ.